And uh, while you're doing that, I wanted to uh, bring someone out on stage with me this morning and introduce you to one of my daughters. Yes, this is my daughter that you have never met yet. You thought I had three. I have four. Um, and since all my daughter's names start with K, this is Cassie with a K. And I just came up with that about five minutes ago. All right. But I wanted to introduce you to Cassie because I wanted you to know how great of a parent I am. I mean, I, I wanted you to see her and, and maybe talk to her if she's, if she's willing to. Are you going to be shy this morning? No, I'm not going to be shy. Okay. Um, well, then maybe we'll have you talk a little bit to the, the people out there. Um, what would you like to tell the people about your dad that, that, that they maybe don't know? My dad does amazing things. Okay, great. I'm so glad I do amazing things. I'm so glad to hear that. Um, do, you, do I love you as a dad? Oh, you do. You're great. You strike the perfect balance of discipline and care. You're so good. And, and, and you're okay with that? You, you know that I love you and I discipline you? Absolutely. I know that spankings are just a way of showing you love me. Okay, great. I'm so glad to hear that. Okay, so I just wanted you to meet her. She's six, you know. I mean, she, she didn't know I had a twin to my other six-year-old. And, and so I just wanted you to meet Cassie because I wanted to be able to then one day talk to you about how great of a parent I am. And I wanted you to know how you can be a great parent two. It's pretty absurd, isn't it? Oh, you, you want a photo op? There you go. Okay. It's a puppet, you guys. I mean, come on. If in one minute you think it's absurd and then now you're going, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, that's pretty absurd for me to get up here and, and say, you know, because I, I, I have a puppet and I, I parented a puppet that I can be a good parent to you, I mean, not to my other kids and you should learn from me. That's a pretty absurd thing, right? Why is that absurd? Because that puppet is not real. Right? That puppet doesn't talk back to me like my kids talk back to me. That, that puppet doesn't get under my skin like my kids get under my skin and, and things start to just kind of boil inside. Like that puppet will never invoke that kind of response from me because that puppet will always be perfectly compliant. That puppet will say whatever I want that puppet to say. It's artificial, right? It would be absurd for me to get up and try to give a parenting talk based on how I parented a puppet. You know what else is pretty absurd? To try to relate to the world or to try to relate to God based on artificial faith. Based on artificial faith. It's absurd to get up and, and talk about something maybe that you lack or that you don't have or you try to relate to the world based on something that you're imitating in someone else but you yourself don't have. It's artificial. And because it's artificial... It doesn't lead to the type of growth that God wants to see in you or wants you to experience. It doesn't lead to the type of growth maybe that you're looking for. Instead, it leads to superficial growth. On the surface, maybe it looks good, but it's really not going deep at all. But on the other hand, authentic faith, real faith. Like if I were to get my actual kids up here and put a mic in front of them and tell them, you guys, tell them whatever they want to know. You're not going to be punished when you get home for whatever you say. You know, if they ask you a question, you know, tell them what you, what you know, okay? And if I were to actually let them do that and you get to experience my real kids and hear what kind of parent I am uh, to my real kids, then maybe you would be in a better position to decide if you want to learn from me about parenting. Perhaps. And you may hear that and go, Psh, 
I knew it all the time. Don't want to learn from him. Right? I mean, let's be honest. But there's a, there's a difference between what's artificial and what's authentic. And this morning, as we kind of wrap up this part of the Acts, and we're going to take a break in the next couple of weeks as we head into Advent, but we're going to wrap up Acts. What we're going to see this morning as Paul is continuing travels, he's going to encounter people. And there's two groups of people that we're going to see this morning. And they're responding to the things of God in two different ways. And you're going to be able to see yourself in one of those ways. And sometimes you're going to be in both spots. Because as I'm going through it this week, and I'm studying, I'm going, yep, I... Here's where I'm authentic, but here's where I'm artificial. Here's where that can cross over. You're going to see yourself in both. And the goal for us this morning is we want authentic faith. We want real faith because it's real faith. It's, it's growing faith. It's that faith that comes from God and that God himself is birthing in us, not the kind that we muster up. Not the kind that we see in someone else and we say, that's what it looks like. So I'm going to go dress like that. I'm going to talk like that. I'm going to say these things and that's how I'm going to know and everybody else is going to know that I'm real. No, we want authentic faith because artificial faith is going to lead to superficial growth. But authentic faith is going to lead to supernatural growth. Growth that comes from God alone, not that I can create. So let's take a look here. Acts chapter 19 verse 11 And so we see God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands so that when even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his body were brought to the sick, their diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. Now, I got to pause there for a minute. Some of your backgrounds, you're going to see this. Some of the... Those of you who like to stay up late and watch TBN, you're wondering about this too. You know, I mean, does God really work through handkerchiefs? Like, I mean, you've seen the people on the TV stations late at night going, if you'll just send 1995, just sow this seed, then you'll get this handkerchief that Jesus himself wiped his sweaty brow with on the way to the cross and you'll be healed. I mean, or something stupid like that, right? And you're wondering, though, but this is in the Bible. Does God really do this? And God was really doing this in this moment. But do you remember the book of Acts has got a lot of things in it that is very unique. And God, and God the Holy Spirit, can work however He wants, whenever He wants, through whom and to whom, whoever He wants. Like God is sovereign. He's, he's absolutely the, the one above everything else, so He can do whatever He wants. And, and in this case, the, the God is choosing to work through a handkerchief that maybe Paul was wearing on his head while he was making some leather or something. Or, or, or some, something that has touched his skin or an apron that he was wearing. And, and, and that's being carried away. God is choosing, but it's, that's the key. It's God in his sovereignty choosing to work in this way at this time. God can do whatever he wants, but that by no means sets the norm. And that by no means means that you should, while staying up late one night watching TBN, should give in to buying a bottle of salt from the, 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 uh, the, the Dead Sea because those healing powers come directly from the dead. You shouldn't, you shouldn't buy into that kind of stuff. Okay? And, 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 and here we've got something that's unique. And so I just want to address that. The other reason I want to address that is because some of you come from some church traditions where certain people held power. And some of the power that was held was manipulation. And, they, and if you go back far enough in some of those church tradition history, you find that the, the leaders of the church were manipulating people with things like this. Miracles. Things that they were performing, but only through certain people's hands or through certain ways, or if you gave enough money or whatever the case may be. And so some of you, when you read something like this, you're going, no, 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 something's rising up in me. I don't like this. And it's because we've seen it abused. All right? 
But don't discount that God can actually work wherever he wants to work. Now, was he working and all that stuff? Likely not. But just because we see something abused doesn't mean we go the complete opposite direction and say God could never, would never. And so here in his sovereignty, he's choosing. And that's not even the main point of these verses, by the way. So we're going to keep moving. But that's what sets up what comes next. So God is doing some amazing things through Paul and through things that have touched Paul. And people are being healed and evil spirits that are uh, in, uh, controlling people are being cast out just simply by these, these, these rags or these, these towels or these aprons that are being brought to people. God is doing some amazing things. Now, Paul is in Ephesus. Ephesus is a center that has a lot of magic practiced in it. They have a lot of pagan worship. Uh, the Temple of Diana, uh, one of the wo- great wonders of the world, uh, is in Ephesus. And there is a lot of people who are mixing and melding their belief systems. So Paul is in a place where there is a lot of what we would call syncretism, mixing and melding of different religious beliefs and religious systems all going together. And so perhaps for some people in Ephesus, this wouldn't have been a big deal. But maybe what they're seeing is the effectiveness is different. So we go on, and the first thing we're going to see as people respond to this kind of thing is artificial faith. Artificial faith. So we keep going in verse 13. But some itinerant Jewish exorcists tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were possessed by evil spirits, saying, I sternly warn you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now, seven sons of a man named Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. Pause there for a minute, because here's what you've got. You've got a group of Jewish people. Now, when Luke is very specific to say Jewish people, he is not talking about Jewish Christians. These are not Jewish believers in Jesus. Now, you can get that from the rest of the verses that we already read just a minute ago. But they are Jewish people who have not yet recognized or acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah. And get this, their job is to travel around, they're itinerant, their job is to travel around and they're exorcists. They go around casting out demons or pretending to cast out demons. And that's their job. They're just traveling around from place to place. And they're supposedly performing. And I say supposedly because I dig. I, I dug a little bit on this because I knew some of you are going to be wondering, like, does, does, does that really work? Like, do people who don't know Jesus, can they actually cast out demons? And so I thought, man, if I can find something on this Jewish praxis of exorcism, maybe I can find something to give you that would tickle your brain a little bit. But I found nothing. No one addressed it. None of the books I was reading addressed it. Nowhere I could find. And so here's the only thing that people said about it. Perhaps they were just manipulating people and made it appear like they were actually exercising demons. Okay, I can buy that because, hey, we see that a lot of times. Maybe they're not pretending to exercise demons, but we see religious people trying to pull the wool over your eyes and make you think they're doing something great and that God's uh, at work among you when really all they're doing is they're just manipulating you. We, we, we've seen that. So I thought, okay. But that's their job. But they clearly, they, they see what's going on with Paul and they see how, how spirits, evil spirits are responding to Paul and they see how sick people are being healed and they kind of clue in and they say, well, what's different? Because if they're being honest and if they really were kind of making some things up, they're going, we never see these kind of results for real. Like there's something different about what's going on through Paul that, that we, we try to replicate, but it doesn't actually happen. So what's different? So maybe they're following Paul around, they're listening, and they clue in that there's something that Paul says, or, or there's this name that Paul uses, because using the right name in a magic culture is a big deal. I mean, whoever's authority you're using and you're coming on, that's a big deal. And so they clue in that Paul, 
Paul keeps using this name Jesus. And he's casting demons out in the name of Jesus. And he's healing sick people in the name of Jesus. And so they think, well, that's the secret. That's the phrase. That's the magic spell that Paul is using that's working. And so we want to have the same results as Paul. We want to imitate what we see in Paul. And so therefore, we're going to imitate what we hear in Paul. And so I sternly warn you, verse 13, by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Anything wrong with that? I sternly warn you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Not in the name of Jesus, I, I warn you. It's in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. I mean, they might have gone around the next day and say, in the name of, in the name of Zeus who Apollos preaches or, or something like that. I mean, they're, they're, they're basically saying, we don't believe this, but we think the phrase works. And so they're going to tack the phrase on. It's pretty absurd, isn't it? It, it seems pretty artificial. And now before we get too far in, you know, we probably haven't found ourselves in this situation. Most of you have probably not been involved in casting out demons or encountering someone who's demon-possessed that you were aware of, right? And, and, and if you became aware of it, you probably didn't try to cast them out. Most of you, that's probably not your experience. But I can guarantee you that most of us have had moments where we do something similar, where we artificially take the name of Jesus and we use it as like a magical spell or a magic phrase. For instance... Praying in a group at church. I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying for all the things that I'm supposed to pray for. I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. I've run out of things to pray. I'm holding the other person's hand. I can squeeze their hand, but maybe they don't feel the squeeze. And so how am I supposed to let them know that I'm done praying? Oh yeah, in Jesus' name. Sometimes we take that phrase, in Jesus' name, and it's simply a phrase that we tack on to the end of a prayer to let someone know we're done praying. Sometimes, sometimes we, 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 we pet that phrase at the end of our prayers because we think, if I don't put that phrase in Jesus' name at the end of my prayer, then God's not going to hear it. Because Jesus said, ask anything in my name. And so what we've done here is we've boiled what Jesus meant down to just say the phrase. And listen, the phrase has no power. It's not the phrase that God was wanting us to, to get a hold of. It's not that when we go and pray and we say in Jesus' name that God is now somehow obligated to answer what we just asked or to cast out the demon or something like that. The phrase itself has no power. It's who that phrase points to. And it's what that phrase represents. You know you can say a prayer and not end it by saying in Jesus' name and it can be even more legit than the prayer you end that says in Jesus' name. You know how that works? Because when Jesus told us, ask anything in my name, he wasn't saying, use this phrase. He was saying, based on who I am, based on what I've done, because that's the only way we have access to God is through Christ and through his blood. And so when the Hebrew author of Hebrews says, we come confidently before the throne of grace, it's not because of what we've done, it's because of what Christ comes. I come in the name of Christ. I come resting on his authority. I come resting on his righteousness. I come because of what he's done. And so when I pray, I'm confident that my prayers, as long as they're being prayed in the Spirit and they're being prayed as prayers that are surrendered to God and they're in line with God's will, I'm, I'm trusting God's going to hear that because I'm praying in the name of Christ. I'm praying and I'm accessing God because of Christ. It has nothing to do with the phrase. Now, you don't have to stop saying the phrase. 
But we can be guilty of being artificial by things like that where we just take a phrase, which is exactly what they just did. We, we warn you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. And they just take a phrase and they expect the phrase to have power, but may, they don't even know Jesus and they're trying to operate in his name. And sometimes some of us are praying and we don't even know Jesus. But we've sure learned how to operate in an evangelical Christian culture. We know the language that we need to say to be accepted. We know the language that communicates within certain social systems how to know it's your turn to pray. We, we've learned how to do that. And sometimes we can, we can take all these phrases and all this secret language that evangelical Christians have come up with and we learn how to operate and we can be totally artificial. But we even convince ourselves that we're legit because this is what it looks like to be a Christian. I pray and I say in Jesus' name. I've used the phrase. I greet people. I call them brother and sister. I mean, whatever it is that we, we do. We are not innocent of something like this of operating artificially by the way we speak or trying to imitate something we hear because we think, well, that's person, I respect them. They're pretty spiritually mature. And so if they speak like that, I must speak like that. And then people will think I'm spiritually mature. I can imagine if anyone was present as these Jewish exorcists were, 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 were saying in Jesus' name by Paul, I can imagine people maybe that are sitting there going, man, these guys are so courageous. These guys, I mean, I would never do something like that. And they're, they're watching, and, and before the rest of the events unfold, they're just going, man, in Jesus' name, yes. And it seems legit. And it seems like their roots go really deep because, man, they've got Jesus now. Or at least it appears that way because they talk that way. They put on that kind of front when they're around you on Sunday or on Wednesday or when you gather for small group or whatever the case may be because we all know how to perform to be socially accepted. We all know what pictures are acceptable on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and we, we, what, what, what pictures we can snap and which one's not if we want to be accepted by this community here or our, our extended Christian community. We all know some of us choose to break those rules and rub people the wrong way. Others of us choose to play the game. But we are not beyond what these people are doing, what these Jewish exorcists are doing. They don't know Jesus. And yet they're talking like it and they're trying to operate in the power. Well, let's just see how it unfolds though. Verse 15. But the evil spirit replied to them, I know about Jesus and I'm acquainted with Paul. But who are you? Uh-oh. We got a problem. Because one, the evil spirit's talking back right now. But two, he's going on and he's saying, I know Jesus, I'm familiar with Paul, but who are you? <laughs> this isn't good. He goes on in verse 16, Then the man, who was possessed by the evil spirit, jumped on them and beat them all into submission. He prevailed against them so that they fled from that house naked and wounded. Now, how many Jewish exorcists were there? Seven. How many men possessed by demons were there? One. And this guy gets to jump on all seven of them. So where all seven of them now are running away from the scene, beaten up, wounded, and naked. That's embarrassing. <laughs> That's a bad day. I mean, when you have had your artificial faith called out, spotlight turned on it, and people realize you're a fraud. You, you, you don't... You don't you talk a good talk, but your roots don't go that deep. That's embarrassing. And you feel naked 
and you feel exposed. And maybe you even do get some, some wounds from that. Listen, some of, us, some of us know what it's like to live with an artificial faith because we're trying to please people. I was talking to some, some friends earlier this week and confessed to them, look, I am a person, I'm a perfectionist. I am a perfectionist. I like to please people, always have. I lived my high school career learning how to please people. I tell you I was a chameleon. I, I learned the people I wanted to impress, what do you want? What do you want to see? What do you want to hear? I'll give you that. I knew how to do that. And that, that, that perfectionism then, then carried itself into, I wanted everyone to be impressed and I wanted everything to go the way I wanted. And listen, that's not gone out of me. I have to lay it down constantly. Because otherwise, I'd ruin a whole lot of relationships over it because not everybody's a perfectionist. And the people who aren't perfectionists, and I, would not get along very well if I were to uphold this. Right? But listen, that perfectionism, that desire to please people that's also behind that, artificial. I just want you to think good of me. I want you to think I, I preach well. I want you to think that I pastor well. I want you to think when I was performing and singing, I want you to think that I'm singing well, that I'm a good performer, that I'm a good actor. I want you to think I was a good athlete, whatever it was. I want you to think that. I want it to be true too, but if not true, I want you to think it at least. Look, we all know what it's like to live with an artificial faith where we're trying to please people and the growth that appears to be there, it's just merely superficial. I talk good. I present good. But when I'm left alone doesn't go very deep and it can be embarrassing and that's where these guys were that's how they were responding to the things of God happening around them that's how they were responding to God rather than doing the hard work and the heart work and going deep they, they were choosing to stay shallow and just find what works just give me the quick fix just give me the quick phrase how can I please these people right now and then they're moving on artificial faith leads to superficial growth. But what does it look like to have authentic faith? And what would supernatural growth look like? And so we keep reading and we'll see authentic faith. Verse 17, this became known to all who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear came over them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was praised. Stop there for a minute. It is an appropriate response. When God is working, when God is moving, and you become aware of that, it is completely appropriate for you to have a healthy amount of fear. And if that fear is not there, maybe your view of God is skewed. Now, when we talk about fear of God, sometimes we like to soften that a little bit, and we say, well, that means respect. And it does, like a reverence. It does mean reverence, but it's not all that it means. Because the God of the universe who created everything by merely speaking could disintegrate you and I in a matter of less than a millisecond or shorter or pick the shortest amount of span of time. He doesn't see time. He could destroy you with his words. He could condemn you to hell in a moment and be totally justified in doing that. There's nothing that is impossible for this God, nothing outside the realm of his power, nothing too difficult for him. And when you realize how great and how awesome God is, then you start to fall into perspective as to where you land in that, that, that picture. And there should be a healthy amount of fear there. God is all-powerful. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, he's loving. Yeah, he's compassionate and kind. But he's all-powerful. He's just. 
He's holy. I'm not, I'm not even worthy to be in his presence because just of the heart attitudes I've had this morning. And yet, this all-powerful God who, who holds my, my destiny, he chooses to bring me close through Christ? How could that be? There should be a healthy amount of fear of who God is and who I am. And yeah, there should be that reverence, that respect, but you can't stop there. You've got to understand who God is and His power. And that's what fell on these people because what did they hear? And they see they've been seeing sick people healed. They've been seeing demons cast down. Then they saw these people try to do it and imitate it and then they got jumped and run away naked. That would cause fear. Like, who is this God? Who is this God? It is an appropriate response to respond to God with a healthy level of fear. And then the name of the Lord Jesus was praised. So look at that. So with all that Paul was doing, who's being praised? Jesus is being praised. Not Paul. See, the difference between Paul and these Jewish exorcists was that God was doing the miracles through Paul. But the Jewish exorcists were trying to have the miracles done apart from God. And so as God is doing these miracles through Paul, and then even when people try to fake it, and then they are humiliated, and people realize that's not the way to do it, then the response that people are having is, they're praising Jesus. That's how you know if God's at work. Among all these miraculous and wonderful things, as people's lives are uh, seeming to be changed, who's being praised? Tune your ears into that. When you are around people who are claiming that they've, they've been changed and that great things have happened in their life, tune in your ears. Who's being praised in the midst of that? Who's getting the credit? Because it might be a good indication as to who's actually working. And so they praise the name of Jesus. Verse 18, many of those who had believed, okay, so, so that first group of people was everybody. It's non-believers and believers alike. They all have this fear of God that comes over them and they're all praising Jesus. But now in verse 18 and 19, it focuses in on what's the response of believers? What does authentic faith look like among believers as God is working? Large numbers of those who had practiced magic collected their books. I'm sorry, verse 18. Many of those who had believed came forward confessing and making their deeds known. Large numbers of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them up in the presence of everyone. When the value of the books was added up, it was found to total 50,000 silver coins. In this way, the word of the Lord continued to grow in power and to prevail. So those who are believers, they're coming forward and they're confessing their sins. Why? Because when you encounter God, when you encounter the Spirit of God, you become aware of your sinfulness. And if you're having an encounter with God that does not make you at on one level aware of your sinfulness, I'm not saying you're also not aware of His grace, but if there's no awareness of His sinfulness, but instead you're just basking in how great you are and how beautifully God has designed you and you're just such a great addition to God's team and anyone would like to have you on their team, it's no wonder God would want you on their team. If you're basking in something like that, you are not encountering God. Or your view of God is severely skewed. Because like Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, this Old Testament prophet, when he gets this vision of God, he's not going, God, I'm so glad you're giving me this opportunity. I've been praying I got to see you and your angels. Instead, he sees these angels and his response is, woe to me, a man of unclean lips. I'm not worthy, is his response. 
I'm in the presence of God in a way that is, is more severe than it's ever been before, that is more, more authentic than it's ever been before, and yet he is aware of his sinfulness. That's what we see. When God is working, when God is moving in your life, you are aware of your sinfulness and you confess that. Confessing it is saying the same thing. That's what confess means, to say the same thing. So when we talk about confessing our sin in relationship to God, we're saying, I am saying the same thing about my sin as God says about it. I'm seeing it the same way that he sees it. I'm not belittling it and calling it a struggle. I'm not saying, well, I've, I've wrestled a little bit this week. I'm saying, I have sinned against God and perhaps against you, depending on what the sin is. I'm identifying it, and I'm not saying, no, this is outdated. I'm not saying this is just the way I'm made. I'm saying I am sinful in my very core. There's no part of me that's not impacted by that. And I'm bringing it to God, and I'm saying, God, I see it like you see it. That thought right there, God, that thought was not glorifying to you, and it was envious of someone else. That, that, that moment, God, that answer I gave, I was just trying to imitate someone who's spiritually mature, but that's not really how I'm feeling. I had, had a funeral this week that I went to, and you know, I had a, um, a teammate at Tinker. Maybe you saw the story of the six-year-old kid that drowned in Lake Stanley Draper last Wednesday. Um, that was the six-year-old kid of one of my teammates at Tinker. And so he, uh, they were having the funeral this Wednesday night, and I'm there, and, and I'm wrestling with that myself just as a parent. I can't imagine what they're wrestling with. You know, but I found myself, okay, just, just I know they were in far more pain but people are asking me, how you doing? And I'm going, oh yeah, I'm good. But I'm not good. I'm wrestling with that. Like my, my teammate, I've, I've known this guy for a year and a half now. This guy has tragically lost his six-year-old son. I'm not doing good with that. I know he's not doing good with that. He's a believer. I'm a believer. But I'm giving inauthentic answers. I'm giving artificial answers. Why? Because I didn't want to have the conversation. Because I didn't think maybe they really wanted to know how I'm doing. And aren't we all guilty of the same thing, especially here? Especially here. How you doing? Oh, I'm fine. No, you're not. You had, a, you had a horrible week. Choose the stronger words that you want to fill in the blank there. And you're, you're here, and you barely made it here. And you're hoping that by being here, God is going to say something. He's going to speak to you, encourage you in a way that's going to lift you up so you can maybe get through Monday. But I'm fine. We are all guilty of this kind of thing. So confessing it would be, God, I confess to you that, that that response, that wasn't real. That was a lie. They come and they're confessing their, their sin. And then they go even more public. Verse 19. So some of them had still been practicing magic. See, because Ephesus was a center of magic. There was a lot of magic that's been practiced. So people are coming to faith in Christ. But just like every single one of us, you come to faith in Christ and guess what? All your sin doesn't leave you. Right? All your bad habits don't leave you right away. Right? Some of you, when you get saved, you, you, you're cussing like crazy, and some of you are still cussing like crazy. Right? Or, or some of you, you, you're drinking way too much, right? and you're letting yourself be controlled by the, the drinks that you're, you're having, and, and that doesn't stop necessarily right away. Or, or maybe you had some kind of other addictions, and just because you come to faith in Christ doesn't mean those addictions stop right away. And they carry over into your, your relationship with the Lord, and now your new growth as a believer and 
So if people were to look at your life, you're at different stages. Every single one of us are. Some of you have been following the Lord for a longer time, and there's some things that maybe you, you've gotten victory over in your life. But others of you, there's been things in your life that you're continuing to, to sin with, and so they're just a constant thing. And, and it's not like the, the sin has changed. It's like I'm on the same level of the sin. Like I haven't grown past the level one of the sin. Like I'd like to get past level one so that I can start to deal with level two of the sin. And some of you are still like on level one. And perhaps it's because... You're treating it, or you're approaching it, with an artificial faith. Maybe you're throwing all kinds of tricks at it, like I'm going to put some boundaries up, you know, and I'm going to avoid this, I'm going to avoid that, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to this meeting, and I'm going to go to that meeting, and well, you know, I have an accountability partner, and we're just going to confess, and all of those things are good. But they mean absolutely nothing, and they will cure absolutely nothing if you don't deal with what's in the heart, Amen. What, what's at the root of those things. And how do you deal with what's at the root? Now, I'm not trying to simplify, oversimplify things, but, but one of the things at the very bottom is I've got to confess that to the Lord. Where I've got sin that I'm dealing with in my life, I need to confess that to the Lord. And listen, the, the amount of time that it takes for me when I'm convicted of my sin to the time I confess my sin to the Lord, the amount of time that it takes will indicate to me where I'm at in my spiritual maturity. Like if it's a pretty, pretty quick thing, then man, I, I'm probably growing pretty well. But if it's like days and weeks and months and I've pressed it down a couple times and I've, I've called it something else a couple times and I've lied about it a couple times, then, I, then I'm probably lying to myself about some things. And I'm probably not growing. And any growth I think I see in that area at least is probably superficial. But we've got some people here who are still doing magic. And, and at some point, they realized, oh yeah, this does not line up. Like we've been following Jesus for a couple weeks, maybe a couple months now, and we've still hung on to these, these magic practices, but now we realize this doesn't line up with who Jesus is or how he operates. And as followers of Jesus, we shouldn't. And so now God in this moment is bringing them to a point where they realize that by the power of his spirit. And so they come and they bring in all their magic books and they have a book burning. And now all your translations are going to say something different about how much the books are worth. It's really up in the air, but it was a lot of money. That's the, that's the bottom line. It was a lot of money. But they were going public with it. I think most of us would be horrified to go public with our sin. Perhaps it's because we don't have a safe environment to do it in. Perhaps it's because we don't have a safe person to confess it to. Perhaps it's because we're fearful that if I put it out there, it's not going to be handled with grace and love. Perhaps we've done that before and we've had our neck chopped off. Look, the church should be the place. Church, capital C, every church, not just Heeson, every church. The church should be the place where people who are dealing with sins feel safe enough to come and confess those sins and not feel like they're going to be judged, kicked out if they're confessing it. Because guess what? If they're confessing it, they're growing it's the people who aren't confessing it who need to be looked at. But the church needs to be that place. And we need to be that kind of people. But it starts with us having authentic faith. And authentic faith is being real before the Lord, being honest about who I am. I'm not perfect. I will never be perfect. I will never please every single one of you and I shouldn't try to please most of you. And if I try, I'm living in sin. 
And if I try, maybe, maybe I might please some of you. But listen, I'm not being honest before the Lord at that point because He's the one and only person that I should be living my life to please. And if it disappoints other people, then so be it. That doesn't mean I'm going to go and rebel. That just means I need to have the right focus. Artificial faith leads to superficial growth. Authentic faith leads to supernatural growth. We can fall in both camps on any given day depending on the issue. I mean, there's no one in this room who's untouched by this. As I'm, as I'm preparing this week, I'm not untouched by this. Because we all have the, the, these, these confrontations with sin. We all have these moments where, where we have to make a decision. Am I going to be open and am I going to walk in the light just as God is in the light? Am I going to be honest with Him about who I am? Because, man, if I can't even be honest with God about who I am, I'm never going to be honest with others. And I'm never going to experience the growth that God has for me. And if I continue to live with artificial faith, I'm just being who you want me to be and I'm presenting who you want me to be, but in secret I'm dying or in secret I'm entertaining secret sin or, or I'm holding on to bitterness or unforgiveness or, or whatever is there that I'm allowing and I'm excusing or I'm justifying. If I'm doing that, any growth that I'm going to see, it's superficial at best, surface level. Like you scratch that and it's like one of those tools that we give our kids in kids' church when we want them to be busy doing something and they, they scratch away the, the black and it becomes like a rainbow. You're just scratching the surface away and then your growth is gone. God wants so much more for us. And he sent Christ to die for so much more than that. And to live life like we have an artificial faith is to discount completely what God has done for us in Christ. He knows full well that we are sinners. Full well. He knows full well the type of people that he sent Christ to die for. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He is under no illusion about the people he's getting. He's not trying to pick the best team of people who are, who are performing well already. He's not trying to pick the best athletes or the best singers or, or, or the, the best looking people. He's not trying to do that. He knows full well what's in your heart and in my heart. And he knew that long before you were ever created. He knew everything you would ever do, every choice you would ever make, every thought you would ever have. And yet he still sent Christ to die for sinners. Why? Because he knew there's no way that any one of us could come to him apart from him doing something for us. You see, because everything that we do, even on our best day, is going to be tainted by the sin that we carry. And that disqualifies us from being restored in a relationship with God. Keeps us from being called His children. Keeps us from knowing Him the way we are designed and created to know Him. And yet God desired for us to know Him, and so He Himself took the penalty for our sin. He sent Christ to live this life that you and I can't live. And He did it perfectly. Then he went to the cross in our place and he voluntarily took what we deserve, what we have earned. God made Christ to become sin on our behalf so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He takes what's ours, we get what's his through faith. God knows full well who you are. Some of you this morning, you've been faking your faith. It's artificial. Maybe you didn't realize it until today, but this, today you realize, I don't think I've ever genuinely believed to begin with. I've learned the culture, I've learned the language, I've learned the behaviors, and I'm a pretty good moral person. I'm better than a lot of people. But maybe this morning, God is, is letting you know, yeah, but you don't know me. And I don't know you. And so, He's making that aware to you this morning so that you would respond with faith. Trusting in Jesus' death on your behalf, His resurrection from the dead so that you might have life. 
and an authentic faith now that God will use and grow you. Others of you, yeah, you've trusted in Christ, but you've resorted to living your life like you've got artificial faith and you're just putting on a show. Or maybe it's an area that you're putting on a show. Take that to the Lord this morning. It starts there. Go before him. Be honest before him. Walk in the light as he is in the light. And that letter, 1 John, that I keep quoting from, he would go on and say, and if any of us sins, and we will, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess your sins and receive the forgiveness that God has already bought for you in Christ. It's yours. Walk in it. Live in it. And then ask God to help you grow. Even if it means doing some hard things. So let's go before the Lord and ask him what he's got for us this morning. Let your spirit search us and know us this morning. And if there's anything within us, God, that's not of you, that is wicked, God, would you bring that to the surface this morning? As we, we, we are right here before you. And God, I don't, I don't pretend to think this is the only place we can be before you, but right here in this moment, we're before you. Let your spirit show us the, the areas, God, that you want us to repent of. You want to, us to bring con- our confession to you so that we might walk in freedom that you've purchased for us in Christ. God, show us what that is this morning. We might say the same thing about it that you say about it. Father, there's some here this morning who maybe they realize this morning they've been living an artificial life at least with regard to the relationship with you. And so, God, this morning you're, you're showing them that, no, you've never known me. But today, today is the day of salvation. God, would you open their hearts that they would trust in Christ this morning and see the beauty of your love displayed in that act and in the resurrection, the power and the hope. God, would you, would you mark all of us as people that live in the power of the resurrection? Not people who are, who are pretending to live in the power of the resurrection. Not people who are living lives that look supernatural, but God, that are supernatural. God, change in us things that, that you alone can change. Change our hearts. Teach us to love you more. To hate sin more. God, have your way with us in your, your grace and your mercy and your kindness. Thank you that your justice has been satisfied in Christ for those who are in Christ. Teach us what it looks like 
to walk with an authentic faith. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. With that, guys, we will see you next week.